Okay, so here we are for the fourth type of meditation practice in the Buddhist tradition. We're going to talk about the recollection practice. Who here has heard of recollection practice? Who has done recollection practice? Yeah, I haven't either. (laughs) So this is something we can explore together and figure this out together and kind of what does it mean and how would we apply it. Right, so these practices, the discourses started in Asia and of course here we are in in the West. And so when all these practices got brought over, this is one that was not really um, emphasized in this setting, kind of in the uh, secular not secular, lay setting. It's um, maybe more in the monastic setting, but not necessarily in this one. So recollection practice is about um, intentionally bringing things to mind. It could probably be translated rather than recollection, bringing to mind practice. In some ways, what is that like in something? Um, what does that remind you of, of what we've talked about today, bringing things to mind? I heard somebody say something. Yeah, directed loving kindness practice. We were bringing to mind the person, the benefactor. We were bringing to mind the phrases. So in this way, it's kind of like a a meta-meditation. And so the idea behind um, recollection practices is that they, the kind of the bottom line is that they inspire us. Is that we bring things to mind that bring some inspiration, maybe some energy, maybe some, even like devotion or loyalty or something like that in our hearts. I think that um, devotion practice isn't, um, you know, really isn't part of kind of the meditation scene here, kind of in uh, the Theravada-inspired tradition. So that may be part of why recollection practice isn't really taught. But But for me, rather... Uh, this idea about inspiration, I actually really like this. The, um, there's a number of references to this practice in the, um, in the Buddhist discourses, and I'll read you just a little bit of one. So the language is a little bit clunky. That's because that's how things were back then, right? And plus we're translating it into English as a very different language than in which it's getting translated out of. So I invite you to see if you can kind of relax about the specifics of the words and more kind of about what the words are pointing towards. Because you'll see it's a little bit awkward in some places. So the setting is that um, the Buddha is um, in an area where there's a lots of monks and people who aren't monks, lay practitioners. They're called householders. He calls them um, householders, people who practice, like us, we're householders in this room. We um, are not monastics. And the main character whom, with whom the Buddha is having a conversation, his name is Mahanama. 
kind of this, that's a very typical name, Mahanama. So Mahanama asks the Buddha, Teacher, with all our various engagements, how should we dwell? So meaning like, what should we do? How, How should we be in the world? The Buddha replied, Good, good, Mahanama. It is fitting for you to approach me and ask this. Mahanama. A person with faith or confidence succeeds, not one without faith or confidence. An energetic person succeeds, not one who is lazy. One with mindfulness established succeeds, not one who is muddle-minded. One who is concentrated succeeds, not one who is unconcentrated. One who is wise succeeds, not one who is unwise. So the Buddha is recognizing that here's a lay person. He wants to know, with all our engagements, with all these things I'm involved with, how should I be in the world? And the Buddha is responding, well, if you want to be successful, here are some things. Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And there are five things to have. Faith, I'll just say a little note here, is not... um, the type of faith that we may be familiar with from a Judeo-Christian background. It's the faith that's needed to finish a novel when you've started it and it's not quite exactly what you thought, but, well, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and I'll keep on reading. That kind of faith. It's the faith to start something when at first it's not exactly clear how it's going to end, if it's worth your your while. It's that kind of faith. That's why it's also quite kind of confidence that, okay, I'm going to start this and I believe that I have faith that the teacher is telling me that doing this meditation practice is going to be beneficial. I haven't seen all the benefits yet, but I have faith that there will be. So in the Buddhist tradition, faith is always at the beginning and supports us to do practices. It's not the end, and it's not the practice itself. It just helps us do things. So the Buddha is saying, if you have faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, these are things that will help you succeed. For those of you who don't know, this is, of course, one of those famous lists. This is of the five faculties. I'm not going to, I won't go into that, but those are things that you can cultivate. And the Buddha continues, having established yourself in these five qualities, you should further develop six things. For those of you who don't know, the Buddhists love numbered lists. I said this before, right? So here's proof. You should recollect the Buddha thus. And then he goes through a list, which is on our um, purple sheet here, but I'm not going to go to that yet. So all these different things to recollect. And then, um, and then the Dharma, the Sangha, virtue, generosity, and deities. So he goes through this list. When a person recollects the Buddha, on that occasion her mind is not obsessed by lust, hatred, or delusion. On that occasion her mind is simply straight, based on the Buddha. So, okay, this makes sense. So if you're bringing to mind something, in this case the Buddha, that means that you're not having obsessive thoughts of greed, hatred, and delusion. Kind of the bandwidth of the mind is taken up by, in this case, bringing um, to mind the Buddha. And it makes his mind straight. A practitioner whose mind is straight gains inspiration 
gains joy. When she is joyful, rapture arises. For one with a rapturous mind, the body becomes tranquil. One tranquil in body feels pleasure. For one feeling pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. This is called the practitioner who dwells in balance amid an unbalanced population. Meaning like everybody else is unbalanced, but here's how you can get some balance. And who dwells unafflicted amid an afflicted population. Everybody else is troubled and having, um, feeling overwhelmed by greed or hatred or delusion. And this is how you can be one who isn't afflicted with those things. And of course the Buddha goes on. You should develop this recollection while you are walking, while you are standing, while you are sitting, while you are lying down. That pretty much covers it, right? There's <laughs> you're everything that we do, right? It's all postures. While you are busy at work, while you are resting in your home crowded with children. And that's the, that's the Buddha's instruction on recollection practice. I like this, right? First he's recognizing, okay, we have lives and we have children and busyness and we want to be successful. And sometimes we need some help to get concentrated and these ideas of rapture and joy and pleasure, this sounds good, right? This is something that seems worthwhile. So in this um, story that I, or it's not a story, it's a discourse, he initially talks about bringing to mind, recollect the qualities of the Buddha. And if we go to these, this table, this is what they say specifically, the qualities of an enlightened one. And it has this, um, this is a very standard list. It's throughout the, um, the suttas. And what I wanted to ask you, Robert, is if chanting this, is this is part of a regular practice at a monastery, isn't is In some monasteries. Is it San? Yes. Yes, in some monasteries, not in all monasteries. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sometimes this is done as a, um, as a chanting practice. It's the way to recollect or to bring things to mind is to be chanting them with all your other practitioners. It kind of makes sense, right? You're going to have to memorize it and fill it with others. So we have these six recollections, six different things that you can recollect. And on the surface, okay, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, virtue, generosity, deities, maybe it doesn't seem so inspiring. But this is the one that I like, is the last one, deities. So we may think, what? what? Am I supposed to recollect angels? I don't get it. Little gods, what's happening here? <laughs> I thought this was Buddhism. We don't have these... <laughs> And if you read in the details, and what I excerpted here, is to recognize, so what is a deity? In the Buddhist cosmology, a deity is an entity that lives in a heavenly realm. In the Buddhist cosmology, there's quite a number of heavenly realms. And in the Buddhist cosmology, heaven is um, there's, it's not where you go for eternity. 
It's there in samsara just like we are. So you may have a stint up in heaven, but then you come back down here, and then maybe you go down to hell, and then you may go to heaven, and then you go hell, heaven, and around and around. That's kind of, that's samsara. And Buddha, and the Buddhist uh, view of the world, the objective is to not go to heaven, but to um, be removed from this endless going around and around. But there are people who are in heaven, or entities that are in heaven, and how they got there from this realm is because they had faith, virtue, learning, generosity, and wisdom. So this idea of recollecting the deities is recognizing that, oh, these entities who had a who are experiencing something that perhaps I would like, being in a heavenly realm, there's a reason why they got there. And the conditions that they got there, the same way they got there, I can have good experiences too, whether it's exactly the heavenly realm or here in the, um, this realm, the earthly realm. So the saying is, there exists in me too, such faith, virtue, learning, gen- learning, generosity, or wisdom, as those deities possessed, because of which, when they passed away here, they're reborn there. So a kind of practical example about this is I remember thinking about um, Gil Fransdahl. Many of you may know he's the founder of this place. He often sits in this seat. I remember... Um, Gosh, a number of times I can give a few examples. One, um, well, let's just say this, that uh, sometimes somebody asking a question that seemed really complicated and confusing, I was in the audience listening, and he was able to maintain um, equanimity and poise and answered it from a place that came from, I felt like, so much wisdom and so much uh, caring and compassion for the person that was asking the question. And I felt like, wow, I'd love to be like that. You know, somebody that could like really meet people where they are and kind of care for them. And then I remembered, well, here's a guy who has meditated for decades. Here's a person who has um, devoted his life to caring for others, taking care of others. And I felt like, oh, this is something I could do. I could meditate regularly. I could set this intention to dedicate my life to helping others. Right? So in this way... I think like this idea of recollecting deities is recollecting those things that are inspire us. And what are those qualities that we already have? Maybe not in the same magnitude, but the qualities that we already have that those individuals that inspire us have. How can we use, when, when our practice, when our life needs a little support, how can we use those around us who are inspirational. How can we use them to support us? And maybe and maybe there's some devotion in there too, right? We don't all have to be always analytical and be mindful and, you know, here I'm kind of teasing things apart, but there's a real room for the heart in this practice too. There's a room for love and warmth and tenderness and maybe things that don't make any sense at all but that um, 
inspire us or are blossoming inside of us. Maybe we feel happy when we see the Buddha. Maybe we think like, okay, well, that's a pretty wooden thing. It doesn't matter. Whatever we, whatever we find that kind of inspires us and allows what's to support that which is wholesome and wants to grow, maybe we can bring those things to mind. Kind of, you know, recollect them as a way to support us in our practice and in our lives. In the same way that metta meditation kind of help cultivates love and compassion and altruistic joy and equanimity, in the same way uh, recollection practice can help inspire us and support us and bring um, maybe some dedication to also to practice. Right? It's not always easy. It's not always, we don't always want to sit down and meditate. We don't always want to be nice and feel loving. But is there somebody that inspires us, that can support us? And can we bring that person to mind? So we have actually five minutes for the, until the end of the day. So I'd like to open it up for questions, either about recollection practice. I didn't guide us through a guided meditation. If there were a little bit more time, we would have made one up together. I think a guided meditation. I myself haven't heard one. Um, but I'd like to open it up for questions either about recollection or about anything that I've said today about uh, mindfulness, concentration, loving kindness, and recollection. We just kind of did a broad survey. Yes? Um, I read an article about transcendental meditation recently, and it um, sounded interesting, and I wondered if you could comment on that. Um, in terms of maybe the science or um, effectiveness compared to Buddhist meditation? Yes, great, thank you. So somebody else asked me about this as well. So I don't have personal experience with transcendental meditation, so this is my understanding of it, not based on experience. That they also, they um, rather than the practices we've talked about, they are practices a little bit different related, though, where you have a mantra, wherein you um, repeat the mantra. And so in some ways, it's like concentration practice here, that you have your mind on one thing and you bring it towards that. So in that's some way in um, which they're related and you could kind of fit it into our schema of meditation practices. Your um, question about efficacy is an interesting one because, of course, that all depends, well, why are you meditating? Like, is there a question, is which one is going to lead to enlightenment faster? Which one is going to help me with my back pain faster? Which one is going to help me relax better? Which one is going to help me have more clarity or ease in my life? So I do know that there right now is a tremendous amount of ex, uh, scientific experiments um, going on right now. There's new scientific journals that just got created in order to hold all this information about the efficacy of meditation mostly mindfulness meditation, what we talked about today, in so many types of disorders and in so many types of populations of people. There's a real explosion happening right now. So there's a lot of research done on what I'm familiar with, which is the Buddhist meditation. I don't know as much about the transcendental meditation, and I don't know if the research is... um, at that place where they're comparing different types of meditation, transcendental versus uh, mindfulness. So I can't really answer your question. 
about that. But I think it's worthwhile to um, ask ourselves when we say which one works better, to also ask ourselves, works better for what? Like, why are we doing this? What, what um, are we, what's our intention? What's our expectations? And that maybe could help us uh, direct towards which practice is better, the four ones I included today, or maybe transcendental meditation is better. I'm not sure. Um, kind of along the same lines for someone who's just beginning you know meditation um, and you know I'm thinking of uh, Gil's talk this I think it was this past Monday he was talking about like doing one thing at a time so would I, I mean I would imagine it's not very good to kind of just like flip back and forth one day this one day that would you recommend trying one practice out for some amount of time like a month or and then try another practice excellent question thank you for saying that so if you're a beginner a um hmm, i would say here at imc what we teach is mindfulness start there start with mindfulness Concentration will develop whether you are intentionally doing that practice or not. Start with mindfulness. And it is very powerful, both in your daily life as well as kind of in meditation too. And then the question like, well, should you do this and then like switch to another one? I can tell you my own experience, and I think it's the experience of others, is that a lot of mindfulness. And then as I learned about others, usually by going on retreat, because usually here at IMC, we just stick with mindfulness because there's the idea that that can take you all the way to liberation. That you don't have, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to learn all these different techniques. They exist to support you in different parts of your life, but you can just do mindfulness and everything else will come into play eventually. So I think what's common is a lot of people just do mindfulness. Then maybe you'll get exposed to some loving-kindness meditation, either because you come to a special day-long here or you go on retreat or something like that. And then you'll augment your mindfulness practice with loving-kindness. And the same with concentration. Maybe you'll augment it. You'll find that um, maybe you need to do some concentration practice to help with some tranquility. Or maybe you want to do some loving-kindness practice to help with um, some aversion you're having or something like this. But... It's more kind of like maybe sprinkling in the others. And then as you, this is a long practice, right? This is kind of, if you want, if we want to find real freedom and peace in our lives, it takes time. Then just kind of our practice may kind of just generally morph towards another, maybe from mindfulness to more concentration or something like that. I know somebody who does mind, starts with three minutes of metta before he does any mindfulness just because he likes to. So... I just kind of offer that, but I think mindfulness, you can't go wrong with mindfulness and sticking with that. That's kind of the simple answer. So I want to be respectful of people's times. I'm, it's 3.32. I'm happy to stay here and ask questions. In fact, I will stay here and ask questions. But if you feel like you'd like to go, you're welcome to go. But um, if anybody has any other question, I'm happy to answer. I'll keep the microphone on, and so we we'll, can continue. But I also... Want to allow if you want to slip out or even noisily walk out, that's fine.
Oh, okay. So I think, oh, okay. So I guess we should have a formal ending to this then. So if there aren't any more questions, then we will end. And you can ask me, you can come up here. But uh, before maybe we um, go into that, that I just want to say thank you all. Thank you all for your attention and your listening. And I s- sat up here and did a lot of talking. So um, I appreciate your kind of openness and willingness to participate in stuff. So with a deep bow of appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. And I think I think Robert has some announcements. <laughs>